morning, First Church. Why don't we stand? Um, we're just going to get in some worship, and uh, let's pray real quick before we do. Um, Jesus, thank you that we can be here and, and love you and praise you um, with freedom. We pray that you would just keep our eyes on you in this time. Um, all the troubling things going on in this country and in the world, help us to bring these troubles to you, God. You're in control. Um, you are so powerful, and you love us. I pray that you would just help us see that and um, help us to focus on you this morning. Skies are wide, crashing down to bring the world to life. Hope came dancing on an empty grave. Death is lost in school to the King of Grace. Be the crown.
Jesus, thank you for all that you do. Um, God, I, I pray that you would just help us to realize that we need you um, every hour, every second. You give us every breath that we take. Um, nothing that we do is in our power, God. Help us to just see how much how much you love us um, and help us to glorify you. I pray that you would just speak to us, um, help us know your thoughts, um, teach us this morning, in Jesus' name. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, and set up and take a minute so you can um, go ahead and if you're at home, take a break and we'll get back in a second. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, those of you that are here that you didn't leave, but uh, it's good to have you back. Um, it's good to be able to uh, meet again on a Sunday and worship the Lord. And and uh, this week we're going to this tonight today we're going to talk about uh, Philippians chapter two. It's something we did not that long ago, a few years ago, but it started uh, everything going on really made me start thinking about this idea of having the mind, having the attitude of Christ in the midst of difficult situations. And uh, we are in the midst of dis difficult situations that obviously everywhere you go is kind of the elephant that's in the room. And, and I want to talk about it uh, just for a few moments and then we'll address scripture. And this is hard for me. I don't like this kind of stuff. I don't like dealing with controversial issues. Um, it's not what I naturally do. And, uh, but it hit me in the past few weeks and, and even before that, I've talked about this a lot. In church, we are people of the truth. We are people who seek the truth, no matter where the truth lies. Even if we don't like where the truth lies, I talk about this all the time when I interpret Scripture and when we look at Scripture. There may be some things in Scripture that I don't particularly like, humanly speaking, but because God said it, I'm going to deal with it honestly and apply it to my life if I need to because I want to be a person who is honest and, and seeks the truth, always seeks the truth. Now, that's important for us today because in our day and age, the truth can be a hard commodity to find. Disinformation is everywhere. I just read a, a, a thing by a tech company, a guy was writing and he was saying, deep fakes and Photoshopping is getting so good that now oftentimes you, can, you can't tell. And so then the truth becomes much harder to find because it's so easy to manipulate things. And so in this time when we deal with race issues, when we deal with sickness issues, when we deal with all these issues, our, especially our social media is rife with things that are not true. Or sometimes it's something that is true and it is being used in an evil way. And we have to be careful about that. There's manipulation of information and information used for evil purposes and Oftentimes, what happens in these types of issues, people are in on two different sides. They, they, they divide up into two different sides, whatever it is, whether it's talking about racism and Black Lives Matter, whether it's talking about the coronavirus, no matter what it's talking about, what we're, what we're talking about, oftentimes people tend to gravitate to one side or the other. And in doing that, and this is human nature, we all do this, you tend to look for the things that validate your position and you tend to ignore the things that don't validate your, your, your position. So you find something that validates your position and you say, yes, that's right. And you find something that does not validate your position and you say, no, that's wrong. They're evil. And we do that. 
And as Christians, that is the exact opposite of the kind of people we're supposed to be. We are not supposed to be involved in those types of things. But unfortunately, it's hard. And so we see this, and, 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 and I, I've been thinking about this, and I've been thinking about some things that I've seen on social media, some things that I've seen on Facebook. Now, if any of you are friends with me on Facebook, you know I visit Facebook about once every three to four weeks. But lately, I've been going more because I've been trying to keep up with what's going on and what people are saying. But I see both sides of the equation manipulating information to achieve evil goals. And we have to be careful about that. I, I, I saw it not the, uh, just the other day, all right, a, a police officer, and I don't want to go into too many details about it, but a police officer who posted a picture of himself with, with two other officers in riot gear talking about wanting to go up, go out and beat people up. And he posted that. This is what I'm looking forward to. Now, what happened? He immediately was dealt with by his department. And one of the things they said was, this is not what we stand for. Don't judge us by this guy, right? But what has happened? That picture is being distributed all over the place. Why? To make people hate. To make people hate. Now, Let's flip it, all right? Let's, we, if we're going to be honest, there's both sides of the equation. Even locally here, I saw it the other day. There's a, I'm gonna, there's a Facebook post purporting to be two black men talking about getting together and shooting cops in our area. That post bears all the hallmarks of digital manipulation. So many things. Secondly, the origination of that post is in Pennsylvania. If, you, if you, you can track this stuff down, some site in Pennsylvania sent that to our area and said, this is Black Lives Matter right here. This is Black Lives Matter. Let's go shoot cops. They're also purportedly sending it to other areas. They just switch the names. They use the names of real people. And they manipulate the conversation to where people hate. And that's what's happening. With that police officer who took a picture with two of his friends. It, 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 we don't even know if they're friends. They're two of his, the guys that he works with. And then he labeled that and he put it out. His two, those two guys are saying, no, we didn't know he was going to do that. No, that's not what we think. One of them is a person of color. And, and, and he said, that's not what I stand for. But they're getting death threats now. They're getting death threats because it's accomplishing its goal of sowing hate. On the other side of the equation, the same thing's happening because the goal is being accomplished of sowing hate. This is satanic. This is demonic. This is pure evil. This is to accomplish the goal of making people hate each other. Christians, we can't traffic in this. If you're not sure of the provenance of something you have, that is, where did it originate and is it true, you should not even repeat it. Because you don't know if it's a lie. You have to be careful. We have to be careful about this. Now, I want you to know, I've learned this, and I haven't totally learned it. I've struggled with this too. But I've learned this in some ways the hard way. Years ago, I had a conversation with a guy who said he was an atheist. And so we were talking, and, he, and uh, he, 
you know, I mentioned I was with a church, and he says, oh, oh, you're with a church, like, like Westboro Baptist Church. Now, maybe for some of you who don't know who Westboro, Westboro Baptist Church is, it's a hateful little cult of small church that almost everyone there is related to each other, and they would go, and at the funerals of, of soldiers who had died in combat, they would hold up horrible signs and yell hateful things to the family as they conducted the funeral. It was a horrible, horrible thing now they've kind of waned now you know uh but for a few years they it was they were ubiquitous they always showed up at these funerals and they always were horrible to where people had to hire security to keep them at a distance so the family the mom the dad the wife the children of a slain soldier didn't hear these people call them horrible hateful evil names and this guy looked at me and he says oh you're like westboro baptist and i said no no, they're the exact opposite of what, they are so out on the fringe, they're so out on the pale. Don't lump me in with them. And he said, you just did that to me. And I said, what? He said, you just listed off three or four atheists who had done some terrible things. And you act like I'm one of them. And I said, he's right. I told him, you're right, I'm so sorry. So with, with this side, with this policeman, we can't lump everyone that way. With this side, with what looks to be a fake, but even if it was true, you, you don't lump everybody like that. You don't do that. We can't do that. If we're going to be honest, if we're going to be truth, if we're going to be people who take the word of God seriously, we can't do that. We can't do that. And so it got me thinking over the course of this week. I, I don't know a lot of things. I don't know a lot of how some people's experience is. So Friday I said to my wife, let's go on a date. And she said, great, let's go on a date. And I said, we're going to go to Fort Monroe and go to the Black Lives Matter rally. And so we went. So we went, and it was an incredibly interesting time, I learned, and if you want to know what it was, you can contact me anytime you want, and I will tell you what it was like, but sisters and brothers, we are healers, not combatants. We need to be willing to do the hard work of listening to each other and pushing past the easy dismissal. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. And I would just say, it's in our culture, especially on social media, we have to be incredibly careful. Now, I just want, uh, for here and for people who are listening, if you disagree with me, if you think you didn't go far enough or you went way too far, I would love to have you talk to me. The worst thing, the worst thing you could do is just get mad and disappear. Don't do that. Talk to me. I would love to talk about it. I would love to work it out with you. I'd love to explain my heart to you and let you explain your heart to me. I would love to do that. So don't take this as a rebuke. It's something we all struggle with. We all struggle with. It's something we need to think about. If we are followers of the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings, then that's how we should act in our, in our, in our daily lives, on social media, in everything. We should be peacemakers and healers. We need to be careful about that. Now, how can we be peacemakers and healers? How can we do it? We have to put on Jesus. We have to be like Jesus. 
And so that brings me to today's message, thinking like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Now, I want to read that to you. It won't be on the screen. I just want you to listen. If you have your Bible, fine. If you have it on your phone, fine. But here is, a, here is um, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Your attitude, your word literally means your mind. Your mind should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, such a key word, therefore, because of what Christ did, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and in and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, most New Testament scholars believe that that section, Paul is quoting a hymn. The way it's structured and the way it reads, it, it seems to indicate that this is an early Christian hymn. Now, if you start thinking about that, Philippians was written very early. So if you're talking about a hymn that has permeated the, the, the church by that time, you're talking about something that probably was written within a few years after the death of Christ. Someone wrote a hymn, and Paul is quoting it here. That's what it seems to be, but I'm, I feel pretty confident that that's what it is. Now, what has he done when we read that passage, 5 through 11? He's already set something up that's very important. He said earlier, and I'm just going to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. That's early. That's in verse 3. Two words. These two words, they build on each other. Rivalry is the condition. It's what we see and how, how it works out in a person's life, a pattern of behavior. Conceit is the root cause. It's the disease. It's the motive. So rivalry is this word, and it's very interesting. The, the, the word, the root word for rivalry is actually a very positive word. It's the word for a hard worker. But it has, has it put on it there and the connotation of it as it's used in the Greek is it's the idea of someone who's working very hard for their own selfish advantage, all right? Someone who, who uh, is, it's all about me. And so what happens? Anytime in a person who's like that, everyone else becomes their opponent. You know, we often talk about this because it's, it's, uh, it's something that, that we see uh, oftentimes in, in, at work or in different places like that. People have their ideas of what should be done and other people have other ideas and so suddenly they become the opponent rather than someone we work together to make things happen for better. Okay, so that's rivalry. The second word he uses is conceit. The King James translates it vain glory, which is the most spot-on translation that I've seen yet. It, it, it's dead on. It's the word kenodoxia. Now, Doxa is the word for glory, okay? Keno, keno is the word, that's a cool word. It's a word for someone whose hands are empty, but they're grasping for something. They're grasping. So keno doxa is someone who is a glory grasper. It's someone who's trying to become, I want to be somebody. I want something. They're grasping. Look at me. Look at me. Recognize me. You know, that's, that's this idea. Someone who's starving for glory. Someone who's grasping with empty hands. And this describes us in a lot of ways. We want to matter. As human beings, we want to matter. God made us that way, to do things that matter. To be, at this, to be, to be a person who accomplishes things that are good and worthy. We want to matter. 
But here with kenodoxia, it's this idea of someone who just wants to be at the center, who wants to be the person everyone looks at, who wants to act important. So why are we this way? Where does that come from? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. It's a theological answer. It's the word sin. Sin robbed us of our glory. We had glory, but we decided we could be our own master, and so we decided to find our own glory. And at the, so at the very basic, most foundational essence of sin is self-centeredness. It's all about me. And so it makes us selfish. It makes us proud. It makes us self-absorbed. It makes us people... One time I talked about this before. Um, it makes us people who are ladder climbers, right? Whatever the ladder is for you, you become a ladder climber. And our culture tells us something. It tells us, whether it's a small ladder or a huge ladder, our culture tells us, once you get to the top, man, that's where the good stuff is. You'll be so happy if there isn't, even is a top. And if you devote yourself to climbing the ladder, our culture tells us, you'll, you'll achieve status, you'll achieve recognition, you'll achieve success, you'll be significant, you'll have glory. To say it in an Old Testament way, you'll have glory. And so you are encouraged to devote your whole life to this. And a lot of people do. A lot of people are ladder climbers. And there's lots of different ladders. But once you're on, it's hard to get off. You look up, you see people above you on the ladder, and you're discontent. I wish I had that. Why are they so lucky? You look down, you see people below you on the ladder, you become smug. You have an elitist attitude. You think that, that they're beneath you in a sense, not just because they're below you on the ladder. And there's all types. You know, we know the obvious things, you know, whether it's we can work ladders or, or money or, or fame or whatever, or oftentimes, I mean, I know because I struggled with this, our, our, our children can be a part of our ladder. You want to have perfect children. Years ago when my kids were small, I wanted them to be good. And oftentimes, mixed in with that was I wanted them to be good so that I looked good as a pastor, so that my children were good. And that's a terrible, that's a terrible burden to put on your children. It's a terrible thing to do. When I, you know, it's funny how you do these things. When I first came to First Church Ministries, and the kids were, were younger, the first Sunday I was there, my two daughters, Holly and Reagan, sang a song for the church. And afterwards, everybody said, oh, they did such a good job. And this is, Bob, you must be so proud. And I was basking in the glory of the perfect father. And on the way home, one of my daughters said, I hated doing that. I said, hated doing it? Well, then why'd you volunteer? And she said, Dad, I didn't volunteer. You made me. And then I thought about how I had manipulated that conversation. And I had made them get up in front of a whole peop bunch of people they didn't know, sing a song they didn't pr particularly think was that good, and put on a performance. And it was all about me. It was all about me. Because I was on a ladder. I was on a ladder. Perfect kids, perfect Christian family. Come in, five kids, they're all well-dressed, they all look nice, they all say yes ma'am, no ma'am, and everybody's like, you are such a good parent. And that was just a load of bull. So we have these ladders. I knew I might start crying now, so I want to share a story with you. 
There's a story about a, a, a bright, driven pre-med student at a very prestigious college. And while he was traveling one summer out in the Far East, um, he met a guru who said this to the student. Don't you see you're poisoning your soul with this success-oriented way of life? Your idea of happiness is to stay up all night studying for an exam so you can get a better grade than your best friend and maybe get a better job. That's your idea of happiness. Your idea of a good marriage is not to find a woman who will match your soul, but to win the girl everybody else wants. That's not how people are supposed to live. Come and join me and my disciples in an atmosphere where we all share and we all love one another. And this kid was ripe for this message, right? And so he called his parents and he told them, I'm dropping out of school. I'm going to live in a commune. And they were horrified. But every once in a while, he'd send them a letter. I'm doing good. So six months later, they get, they get this letter from, Dear Mom and Dad, I know you weren't happy about my decision, but I can tell you how it's changed me. For the first time in my life, I'm at peace. There's no competition here. Nobody's trying to muscle their way in front of anybody else. The way of life has brought so much harmony to my soul that in only six months, I've become the number two disciple in the entire community. And I'm hoping in three more months, I'll be the number one disciple. He switched ladders, right? He just switched ladders. We all have them. We all have them. And that's why Paul's, Paul's talking about this, because he wants us to have, instead of this idea of me, 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 he wants us to have this idea of the mind of Christ. And so he wants to talk about this. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your mindset, your way of thinking. Now, it's interesting here because the, 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 the grammar points out this is in the present, present tense. It's a continual action. It's an imperative, so it's a command. And he's saying, this is a continual action. You need to put your mind to this. Now, God has to be involved. God has to be involved. The Holy Spirit has to be involved in making this real in your life. But this is something we talk about all the time. This is, this is that whole idea of, of thinking about who am I? Who am I really? Not who do people tell me I am. Not who, who do I think I am. But who am I? What is, who does God say I am? And this is that important thing, allowing the, the Spirit of God and the Word of God to work on us. And so he, it, says, it says in here, let this mind... Uh, in, a, in very, you could translate it, let this mind be in you. Work on that. Allow this to happen to you. And it happens in that way. And so now he's, he's going to describe it. He says, this is how, we, how can we be? How can we have that mind? How can we have that attitude that's just like Jesus Christ? So he's going to explain it. He says, he who, talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. How about that? We got that word grasp again. Earlier, we're glory graspers. Kinodoxia, right? We're glory graspers. Here is someone who's a not a grasper. It's Jesus. He's the exact opposite of that. All right, so he says, uh, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, this opens up great insight into the very nature of God. And I, and, and I, I want to do... A little grammar lesson, and I know everybody here is excited. I know people at home are going, this is a good time to get a cup of coffee. He's going to do grammar, all right? Because we're going to look at grammar here, and we have to do this, and it's, it's, it's a little deep. But in this passage, when it says in verse 6, who being in very nature God, that word being is an important word, okay? That word being is a verbal adjective, that's what it is, and uh, it, what it is, that means a verb that describes a noun. Um, it could be, let's see, I have it here. Here is an idea of that. They're called circumstantial participles. 
And here's an example of one. A crying baby. That's a circumstantial participle. It's a, it's a Virgil... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to lose my job any moment now. It's a verbal adjective, a verb that is used to describe, describe a noun a, in, in participle form. And in the Greek, they have four ways that can work. One is called causal. One is called concessive. One is called conditional. One is called derative. Now, I know you look at that and go, Bub. okay, hang with me. Here we go. Causal, look at this. Because the baby is crying, we won't go to the restaurant. You see, it's a cause. Because the baby is crying, we won't go, right? So the crying baby, now we see this is, that is causal. Next is concessive. Although, or in spite of the crying baby, we went to the restaurant, right? Now the crying, you see, that's concessive. You conceded it. Next one is conditional. If the baby is crying, we won't go, right? That sets up a condition. If this is happening, we won't do that. This is all under this idea uh, of a participle. And the third one is durative. Durative is duration. While the baby is crying, we won't go, right? So when we look at this passage, who being in very nature God, some, some, uh, some translations translate it this way. Who, they say, in spite of being in very, his very nature God, he did this. See, that, what did they do then? They, they, they decided that what they wanted to go to was the concessive. They thought this is concessive. But here's the thing. With this, you have to take into account the whole passage to interpret the par- participle. The whole passage points in a different direction, I believe. Now, I didn't think this up. There's a whole bunch, I did a lot of reading on this, there's a whole bunch of Greek scholars who believe this. They think that it's not concessive. Concessive would be this idea that Jesus said, you know what, I love them, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go. This is going to be tough, but I'm going to go. Okay. In spite of being in very nature God, in other words, concessive makes a lot of sense to us. It would be like, man, I got everything. I'm at the top of the, of the job chart, but I will go down for those people. I'll sacrifice. Right? And that's how we would think. But I don't think that's what happens here. It's like Jesus, they're trying to say if Jesus says, if I'm God, I don't have to serve anything, but I'll just do it. Right? But I think the context points to this. The flow of Paul's argument points to this. I think that in that, in that it should be better translated, Jesus, pricely, no, pricely, precisely because he was God. He went, right? That moves it. It's not concessive. It moves it because it's saying the, it's his very nature that we're talking about here. Because of who he is, he's not thinking, I'll give this up. He's thinking, I'll gladly go. That's what he's thinking. He's not thinking this is a sacrifice that I'm going to make. I'm going to give all this stuff. That's not the emphasis. He does give all that up. But that's not the emphasis. The emphasis here is not that he is grasping and decided to let go. It's that he said, no, no, this flows. If I'm this, then I have to do this, and I do it gladly. It's, it's, a much, it's nuanced, but I think it's much more because Jesus came as a servant, not in, not in spite of the fact that he was God. He came because he was God. Because he was God, he couldn't, he couldn't help himself. I love the, I, I have to go. I want to go. Years ago, I talked to one of my brothers. I have two brothers. They're both missionaries. And I talked to one of my brothers, and I said, Does it, do you ever think about 
all the stuff you gave up to move out of this country to another country? And he said, you know, that never really has occurred to me. All I think of is all the stuff I got in this new country. All the things I learned, all the blessings I experienced in this new place. I didn't think about what I lost. I thought about what I gained. You see, it's a whole different way of thinking. It's a whole different way of looking. Jesus decided to descend the ladder. I want to tell you something. If you're a ladder climber, you're going to pass Jesus at some point because he's going down, you're going up. So Jesus didn't go, not grudgingly, but willingly, lovingly. And it says in verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, all right? This is what he did. We see that. He became a servant. Now, let's think about that. He became a servant. He could have become an angel. Angels are servants. But he went further down the ladder, right? He became flesh and blood. He experienced our limitations. This is the doctrine of incarnation. Jesus comes down the ladder. But you know, even if you come down and become flesh and blood, there's some human beings who are kings, right? He's the king. There's some people who are important, but he decided to go lower. He decided to be born in a manger with penniless parents. He, he went down to the level of peasant. But you know what? He decided to go lower, right? And that's what this passage tells us. When you look at verses 7 and 8, he's describing the, the, the latter steps he went down to get to the bottom rung. And what's the bottom rung? He, obedient, he uh, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, why is that the bottom rung? Deuteronomy 21, 23. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, on wood, on a cross. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, that's the lowest. And Jesus said, I'm not going to be this servant. I'm not going to go to here. I'm not going to go to here. I'm going to go to the very bottom. I'm going to go to the absolute lowest. Now, remember, as we study this, what is he saying here? I want you to do that. I want you to do that. As we think about, as we think about all the stuff that's going on in our country today, Jesus is saying to us, find the low people, join them, bless them, serve them, love them, concrete acts of doing things that impact people's lives, go do it. What, however they look, it's not, I mean, I'm just, I, you know, as soon as I say that, I'm thinking everybody's, oh, well, okay, we're talking about this specific. No, in every way, in all kinds of ways. And the disciples struggled with it. We've, we've, we've talked about this a number of times here at church. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which was considered to be the greatest. The disciples were still thinking ladder climbing. They were still thinking climbing the ladder. And they thought Jesus was on his way to the top. And they wanted to grab his coattails. They didn't understand that he was on his way to the bottom when they met him. He was on his way down. He was heading to the cross. And they didn't like that. They didn't want that. Remember Peter? Lord, may this never be. Remember Peter? Lord, these guys, they're all losers. But I'm going to stick with you to the very end. And then all of them arguing over who? 
who is going to be considered the greatest. What that means is who's going to sit, when Jesus comes into power, who gets to sit on the right hand? Who gets to sit on the left hand? Those are the two seats of power with a king. You know, one of the things I think about is, uh, I, I love this uh, story, and I believe it's true. Um, there was an athlete in the 60s and 70s whose tagline was, I am the greatest. And it was Muhammad Ali. And he tells this story on himself. He, he tells the story one time he was on a plane, and uh, they said everybody needs to now buckle their seatbelts. And he didn't want to buckle his seatbelt. And so when the, when, the, uh, when, the, when the person came along and said, um, sir, I mean, sorry, you, you, you have to buckle your seatbelt. He said, I'm not going to buckle my seatbelt because I'm Superman. And he went on to explain, this is who I am. You don't have to do this. She kept telling him he had to. It's a safety law. He has to put it on. And he said, I'm not going to do it. I'm Superman. Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And she looked, oh, well, then you can leave because Superman doesn't need a plane. And he, he, I saw a video of him telling that story. And he started laughing. And he started laughing. And he, sa he said, that little girl got me. And it was great. It was great. It's that idea that if we're going to be the greatest, we're all, we all want that. We all are glory grabbers. We're all glory grabbers. And the, the disciples, they're not getting the servant message. And so Jesus had to model it. It's a very famous thing that he did. We all know about it when he, when, at the Last Supper when he washed everybody's feet. Now, foot washing is the most menial, low job a person can do in that culture because, because feet were considered to be unclean. Because oftentimes everybody went barefoot. Or they had little sandals. Well, you know, if, how, how, how do we need to illustrate this? If you're walking on a trail from Jericho to Jerusalem, so are donkeys and cattle and sheep, and you're all sharing the same trail. So feet get filthy. And so to be the person who washes the feet is to be the lowest. Now, they were just arguing, who's the highest? So they all file in for the Last Supper, and everybody's looking around going, who's going to wash feet? Not me, not me. Because to wash feet would be to admit, you guys are all above me. And they're just arguing over who isn't below, who's up, right? So Jesus washes feet. He puts on the towel, and he washes their feet. Now, you think about that. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Foot washing is the worst. None of them want to do it, to be the one that steps forward and does it. And then Jesus does I think about that for us. In that passage, John 13, it, it, it ends with this. Uh, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. Interestingly, it was the place of honor. Jesus was at the most important place, and he washed their feet. And he said, do you understand what I've done for you? And I almost, I think maybe, you know, if it was more, he would be saying, do you knuckleheads get this with your arguing who's most important? He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to put on any false humility. I'm the Lord. I am the Lord. For that's who I am. Now that I, your Lord, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You are not greater than Jesus. That's what he's saying. You're not greater than Jesus. So start washing feet. Start washing feet. Now, we could get real, like, woodenly literal and, and do foot washing here. And it might be a good illustration, but obviously that's not what it means for us now. Foot washing was the most menial task. Foot washing was one of the dirtiest tasks. Foot washing is what slaves did, not free people. Foot washing is what the lowest of the slaves did. No one wanted to do it. Now go and wash feet. Go and figure out what those things are in our culture, in our society. Who's the lowest? Who needs their feet washed? I mean, Jesus started this, this fellowship of the towel kind of a thing. Where people put towels on and say, can I help you? Can I serve you? There, there's no climbing. There's no climbing because we're going to the bottom. But think about this. We're going to the bottom with Jesus. There's no better place to go than where Jesus is. And so, we need to start being foot washers. And you know, it's interesting. It brings more joy than, than ladder climbing does. Jesus went to the bottom. And this scripture tells us God exalted him. He exalted him. And the day is coming when we'll all be taken off the ladder and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we'll see the one who humbled himself for our sake, who gave up his glory for our sake. And uh, he will be exalted. He will be exalted. So, in this community that we are supposed to be a part of, this community that gives up ladder climbing and decides to start ladder descending, this community that gives up gives up saying, this is where I'm most comfortable, I want to be here all the time, says, I'm willing to be uncomfortable at some times. This, I mean, for me, in the past few weeks, it's been saying, I don't understand some of this stuff that's happening. I'm going to figure it out why. I'm going to read, I'm going to listen, I'm going to study, I'm going to, I'm going to get into, try to get into other people's shoes to understand how they feel. Because that's what Jesus did. When he came to earth as a human being, that's what he did. And I want to follow him. And so what if we just became all these people who suddenly said, I'm not climbing ladders, I'm climbing down. I'm not going up. I'm following Jesus to the bottom. I'm going to serve. I'm going to wear a towel. I'm going to wear, I'm going to wash filthy feces-covered feet. I'm going to do the nasty things, the hard things that don't make me comfortable, but I know impact people's lives. I'm going to do that. That would be incredible. And I want to tell you something. I am not up here. I am not up here talking to people at home, talking to you guys here like I'm Mr. Know-it-all or I got it all together I, because I'm the worst too. I'm pastors. Man, pastors can be the worst at this kind of stuff. And I've told you guys some of them. I, I haven't told you the worst because you'd fire me, but I've told you some of the things. Some, some of the things. But it, it gets in us so easily. A while back, we were picking up People were picking up the chairs. We'd had a, we'd had a meal. I was picking up the chairs. And, uh, and so I started stacking a couple chairs to help 
And, and I hate this about me. The first thing that came on my mind is, I wonder if anybody notices that the pastor's willing to stack chairs in this church. This kind of church we got. Pastor stacks chairs in this church. He didn't act like he goes first in line and gets all the food and da-da-da. No, he stacks chairs. And so I'm thinking that, and I thought, oh, God, forgive me for thinking that. That's so stupid. That's so... And then I thought, maybe I should stop. No, I'm going to keep stacking chairs. So I'm stacking some more chairs, and I was praying. I said, God, I want to do this for your glory. I don't want to... I don't want to have mixed motives on this. I want to do this for your glory. And so I'm wheeling a chair over here to this thing. And, and, and somebody said, oh, thanks for stacking chairs. I'm, yeah. Isn't that bad? I'm that kind of pastor. You know, it came right back. Why? Because we, t- we want to be ladder. I want to, I want to impress people. We can be ladder climbers. So I want to tell you, I'm not, I don't have it all together. But I know where I want to go. I want to go down. I want to go to the bottom. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to treat people like Jesus. That's what I want. And there are hundreds of ways that we can apply this. Uh, for me, for my wife and I, um, the other day, just sitting down talking, how, how can we reach out to people in our community? How can we have, we have some black neighbors around us? Right? So in this time where there's so much distrust and so much fear and so much pulling apart, how can we bring together? What can we do for our neighbors? And we're thinking of things, we're trying to think of things that we can do in concrete ways to tell our neighbors, man, you know what? Jesus loves you, and I want to be like Jesus. And I probably won't be as blad out like that, but I want to find ways of communicating love and, and acceptance and healing to people in, in, in my neighborhood. And, yeah, I mean, I got, I got white neighbors, too, that I want to communicate that to. But I want to get off the ladder. And I want to go down and not up. I want to be a servant. I want to model it still for my kids, because they still watch me, even though they've all moved away and left us alone like terrible kids do. Um, <laughs> I'm not bitter about my daughter moving. Um, but I still, I, I want to model that. I want to live that. I want to be that. And so I have to think of things. How can I serve others? How can I be like Jesus was and like Jesus is? And I have ideas, but I'm open to more. And for each one of us, we need to think about that. We need to pray about that. We need to do the hard things that is required to become healers in our communities. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. He's our only hope. He is the only hope for this world. Lord, we know there will be trouble. Jesus, you told us there'd be trouble in this world. As long as we live, there will be trouble. That won't end. But Lord, help us to be the people that bring light and healing and love in times of trouble. Help us to be people that stand out. And Lord, we know that sometimes when we take those steps, those difficult steps, we become vulnerable. And we can be misinterpreted, and we can be hated, and we even see in all over the world today, at times when Christians trying to do the right thing lose their lives. And Father, we still want to be the people who go to the bottom with you, because you lost your life. Jesus lost his life for us. And so we thank you for that. God, help us to be serious about following you and loving you in any and all situations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us online. Thanks for everybody else who's here.
It's great to see people. <laughs> I mean, we love you guys. Thanks.